And so last week, you know that we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No other God in any other religion would walk in this weak, tempted flesh, but do it perfectly and then willingly give up his life on the cross, um, you know, for his own creation, at the hand of his own creation. But then he rose again. He's alive. He is alive. He is alive still here and now today. His love hasn't changed. His opinion of you, it hasn't changed. He's still crazy about you. He still loves you. He's still excited about what you're going to accomplish in your lifetime. And so we need to get excited about what he's going to accomplish, right? Some good stuff. But think about that. That means that if you choose to put your faith in Jesus, he prepared a way. He went ahead of us. That means that just as he was unstoppable, you are an unstoppable force. Nothing can get you down. Not even death itself can stop you. It's pretty awesome. But do we make the most of this new life that Jesus gave us? How do we know if we're living it well or if we're completely missing it? You know, to be completely honest, right? What if we're missing out on something that God has for us? Well, this morning we're going to be venturing through, if you want to turn in your Bibles, and everybody please do, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, open your app, open BibleGateway.com if you want, or Bible Hub, or whatever. Um, we're gonna, this, is, this is a rare treat. Very rarely do I ever speak expositorily, and if you don't know what that means, basically just, it's like a one-sided Bible study. You just go through the, the Word of God, verse by verse, thought by thought. I talk to you about it, you don't get to say anything. You, you, gotta, you gotta message me later if you want to talk. Um, uh, you know, personally, I usually don't preach that way. Um, usually we, we speak, I preach topically, just that's kind of what Jesus did. And I just think it's a lot easier to grab a little nugget of God's word and go out and live it, you know, it just seems to be a more effective way to me. But God has something special for us this morning, because as we go through Luke chapter 11 together, we're going to be seeing this vast dynamic in the life of Jesus when he's being questioned by people, he's being challenged by people. People are doubting him. People are opposing him. And as he goes through that, he's showing us what it means to live a spirit-filled life and how to do it effectively. Anybody ever feel that way? You feel like everything you do in life is just wrong? You know, even when you think you did everything right, somebody's there to smack you down of how you could have did it better or to question you or challenge you, you know? Well, well you're in good company because Jesus dealt with that constantly. Constantly. We know he did everything right. He did everything perfectly, and yet still people were always, you know, mouthing off to him and questioning him and doubting him. Um, so we're going to look at his example, and we're going to see what it means to effectively live a spirit-filled life. And it begins where every great revival, every great move of God, where anything that has any value or worth ever happens. It begins where we get equipped and empowered by God, and it all begins in prayer all begins in prayer and that's what we find jesus doing here luke chapter 11 verse 1 says one day jesus was praying in a certain place now apparently that's like a fishing hole apparently jesus had this super awesome you know private prayer room that just he knew about and his disciples knew about but they're not going to tell anyone else i don't know why it's not shared but he was all by himself praying and we find him doing that often and it says that when he was finished, one of his disciples came to him. He's like, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples how to pray. You teach us how to pray. And now this is, we have to do this the right way, right? It's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to hurt God if we don't speak this in the King James Version, right? And if we don't all say it together, exactly verbose, word for word, right? So is everybody up for this? Everybody got a, a tongue in a mouth that works this morning? All right, so this is what Jesus said. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. They forgot even, even as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen, right? Now, I'm just going to share with you, as you kind of caught by, you know, my tone beforehand, I don't believe that Jesus ever intended for these words to become words that we just say all the time out of tradition. 
Powerful, powerful words. Powerful words. But you know what it's like um, when you say the same words over and over and over again. You know, my kids hear me say the same things over and over again. Guess what? It's just, nah, nah, nah. It's just background noise at one point, right? You know, when you start doing things for the sake of tradition, you start losing the reason why you started doing them in the first place, the meaning, right? You know, when I, I didn't grow up in the church, like, I mean, I guess I did when I was an infant and I couldn't remember it, but, you know, but I go to these churches and they do these weird things with, like, you know, like with smoke and with water, and I'd ask the pastor afterwards because it's just, I didn't know what church life was, right? I didn't know you're not supposed to question the spiritual authority in the house. I'd be like, why do you do that, you know? I, I honestly, sincerely, I was brand new in my faith. I couldn't find it anywhere in the Bible because that's all I had. I knew it was something God gave me, this teen life Bible. That's all I had to go off of, you know? And a WWJD t-shirt, by the way. I was, I, was, I was rocking it. Go New Hope. You know, but I didn't know any different. I looked through the Bible. I couldn't find anywhere, so I asked them, and they're like, well, this is what we do. And I'm like, well, why do you do it? Well, it's just what we do. It's what I was trained to do in seminary. I'm like, well, why do you do it? Where is it? Like, you know, I, that always drove me nuts. And so we don't do traditional things here at New Hope, and I'm sorry. That's just, that's just because I'm me, and that's who you're stuck with until God says otherwise, you know. I don't think that these were intended to be words to repeat out of tradition. And it's not that there's anything wrong with doing that necessarily. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, and if that's a habit that you have in your household or whatever, that's fine. There's, I'm not teaching against it. It's a good thing. However, the more that we say things out of tradition, the more that they kind of lose their intent. And I believe that if Jesus wanted us to say these same words, you know, and, and to repeat his prayer um, every single time, he probably would have made sure that, um, that Luke and Matthew heard and recorded his words perfectly because the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, um, it's not the same in those two chapters. In fact, if you read in most translations, it's not written this way either. Um, you know, because that's sort of the point, is that he's sort of teaching us how to do it, not necessarily teaching us exactly what to say. This prayer is powerful, so powerful in so many ways. And honestly, for time's sake, I had something to say about each one of these different aspects. And I, I listen to a bunch of podcasts with different churches. Everyone's teaching and preaching on this. Like, it's like, all right, God, you are speaking that. And then this morning, I felt like God said, nope, skip along, move along. So you're going to have to hop online if you want to read all the awesome stuff that God revealed about this. Um, yeah, here in person, I'm skipping over it. Um, and I don't know why, but Lord, we're just going to do whatever, whatever you want. But the key to a healthy and effective prayer life with God is to understand that it's not about the words that you speak. When we pray, it's not about praying a certain way or saying certain words. It's not like there's some magic, you know, bippity-boppity-boo that you got to say, you know, our Father. You always have to say our Father because if you call him anything else, you know, he's going to be like, you talking to me? Are you, are you talking to me? Because you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't say it right, you know? No, I know when my kids are talking to me, whether he calls me bruh or whether he says dad or whatever they call you these days. I know when my kid's talking to me. And he, he could say something a uh, hundred different ways, and I still understand what he's saying to me. In fact, God's Word teaches us that before we even go to God in prayer, he already knows your needs. He already knows what's on your heart. He already knows what's on your mind. But it blesses him when you share it with him, right? It's kind of like when I know when Nate's walking around with his head down, and I know what he's struggling with. I know what's bothering him, but it kind of blesses me when he opens up to me, his father, about it, you know? And then I have the opportunity to share my heart with him and to let him know, hey, you know, have you thought about this? Or, hey, here's how I see you. And it just, it just blesses a father. So, so that's what prayer is about. Prayer is about just communication with him. This isn't a religion. This is a relationship. And that's so cliche to say, but it's so true. Prayer is just about communicating with God. The same way you talk to a friend. You know, I... My, my relationship with my wife would, or my kids or anybody, any of your relationships would not be good if you don't talk to the person. And here's another sort of like thought about prayer is your relationship with that person also wouldn't be good if you walk up and you're like, hey, I need you to go mow the grass, go weedy, and then go uh, do the dishes. And then the next day it's like, hey, I need you to go fill up the gas in the car, Fill up the gas car. Fill up the car with gas. Need to go change oil, and then okay, you're good. Like, you, do you think he would feel loved and cared for? Do you think? No. You think maybe he has some things he wants to share with me? Uh, yeah. But what is our prayer life like? God, I need you to do this, this, and this for me. And then that's it. Amen. And then you walk away, and God's like, but 
can I, can I talk to you about that? <laughs> like, and actually, there's something I've really been dying to share with you. There's something I really want to tell you, but I guess you got more important things to do. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's another dad cliche, you know? Yeah. Yep. There's, there's very, whenever your kids hit the teen years, there is critically life essential things happening in your bedrooms behind closed doors, you know? That's where you spend the bulk of your life, apparently. You, you become like a caveman hermit or something. I, I don't know. Am I, am I the only one that struggled with that? I mess with them all the time. If I know Bethany's with Griffin, I'm like, hey, B, I love you. And I love you too, Griffin. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's just, you just gotta, I'm just that kind of dad. I just like to have fun. Or you just go back and rip a big fart, you know? And anyways, um, God wants a relationship with you. He wants to enjoy life with you. Believe it or not, the God that I know, he likes to have some fun too. You know, he, he actually wants to give you joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You hang around with God often enough, you're going to laugh. You hang around with Stan often enough, you're going to find some pretty good jokes and you're going to enjoy life a little bit, just the kind of guy that he is, you know? And that's the kind of God that we serve. He wants to give you joy. It's not a stiff religious thing where you say these King James words and then that's it. In fact, Jesus didn't even speak at old King James English, you know, he, he, that's not the language he spoke. He wasn't very white either, he wasn't a white boy like me, you know, so anyways, whole other stories there. But Jesus was teaching us sort of how to pray. When you pray, pray like this, that's literally what he said, pray like this. And it's recorded differently in different scriptures. But the key is to be in constant communication with God. That's what a prayer life, a healthy, effective prayer life looks like. You're in communication with God. You're sharing what's on your heart and mind. He's sharing what's on his heart and mind. He's revealing the kingdom to you. He's revealing more of his character, his attributes, who he is. In fact, here's to prove the point of words are not... Did you know that the most powerful prayers that you could ever pray have no words at all? Your words are not that important when you pray. And just this isn't just what I'm saying, it's what God's word says. Romans chapter 8, verses 25 to 27. We know it well, right? Um, and it says that um, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Wordless, wordless groans. You don't know what you're saying. In verse 27, and he who searches our hearts also knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so that's exciting news for me. You couldn't pray a more perfect prayer than when you pray in the Spirit. And you're not even using words. You don't even know what you're saying. You Maybe you're making some sounds. Maybe it's just a... I think, I, I seriously, I think the Spirit of God loves that prayer of mine when I'm just like, because just something lifts, and it's just like, I'm just ugging, I'm just and, and the Spirit, it's just, it's perfect. When you pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you, He knows what's on your heart, He knows what's on your mind, but He also knows the mind and the will of God. And so He intercedes the perfect prayer. Love prayer in the Holy Spirit. Why don't we pray in the Holy Spirit more often? Why is it odd when you pray in the Spirit in church? I don't know. It should be a common, perfect intercessory prayer. Prayer isn't about the words you speak. Wordless groans, and yet it's the perfect prayer. Jesus continued on teaching less about what words we use and more about how we should pray, the way that we pray, not the words that we speak. He, he shifted the focus then onto a relationship with God and the bold attitude that we should approach him with through prayer. You know, when my son asks me for something, there's not a doubt in his mind. He believes he's going to receive it, right? He just does. He's very bold that way. In fact, I go to Dollar General this morning because we needed to pick up something. Dude plops down an orange Fanta and a can of Pringles. And I'm just like... Swipe and you go on, right? <laughs> Sometimes, this happened for real if you can't tell by the laugh. Um, <laughs> but you love your kids. You know, I believe 
that the Father loves you so much, He won't just give you your bare essential needs, like you're some orphan, right? You are adopted into the family of God. And you ask little Anna if she's spoiled. She doesn't get scraps off the table, man. She is spoiled, you know? We're adopted in the family. We're children of God, and he loves you. He's not just going to give you your needs. He'll even give you your wants every now and then. He'll surprise you with them. He'll bless you with them, right? <sighs> I love it. It's who our Father is. So why not boldly ask him? And this is what Jesus said. We are children of God. So in verse 9, right? Where am I at? I'm sorry. Yes. That's, yeah, I'm getting there. Okay, anyways, you know what it's like. If you've ever seen, yeah, anyway. So, so I say to you, um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm all over the place this morning if you haven't noticed. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight. And you say, friend, 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 right? Anyways. Lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I got no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside's like, do you ever have a friend come to you at midnight? You know, or three in the morning? Isn't that what Jesus said, three? No, he said midnight, you know? And I'm sorry, how many of us have that friend that you know they're wasted at that point, and they're knocking on your door like, just go away. Come on, are you kidding me, you know? Get a life, like, come on. But suppose that friend comes, and they're at midnight, and one inside offers, uh, answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. The kids are already in bed. I'm not going to get up and give you anything. Jesus said in verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Because you see, that's the reality. We are friends of God, but we are so much more, right? We are children of God. And yes, we are children of God. We start with that relationship, but we approach him with shameless audacity, with boldness of faith, with courage in our requests. And how can he refuse whenever we do that, right? Especially when your prayers are for needs or just in accordance with his will or with his word or with his character, Remind God of his word and promises. You don't offend him with those things. Remind him of a prophetic word you received. He's not going to be offended by it. He's, okay, you know, press in, seek, chase, right? In fact, Jesus says it this way. He says to ask, to seek, to knock. Approach him with boldness. doesn't offend him. It blesses him. It blesses him that you believe in his word, in his character, that much that you believe that much in his love for you that with shameless audacity you're pounding on his door at midnight I, i'm broke my friend's here he's hungry can you just give me some food a couple loaves of bread you know come on he will do it jesus says so i say to you ask it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks the one who knocks, the door will be opened. But you all know what this should really look like, right? It's not like when I asked Nate to go grab the car keys, and he's like, couldn't find them, sorry, right? I asked, didn't get them. You seek, yeah, you shouldn't sit up front. You're going to be made fun of all sermon long. This isn't fair. <laughs> Love it, perfect. Hey, <laughs> Never mind, I'm, I'm not going to keep going there. I'm going to ask him for everything that's sitting on that chair individually. Um, you guys have better things to do with your time than to watch that happen. Um, and the one who knocks. You don't go to your friend's door at midnight and you're like, knock, knock. Now I guess they're not home. <laughs> I, I guess they just don't want to hear from me, right? You need something. You're knocking. You're knocking. You got to get this perspective. That's how God wants to be approached. He wants you to keep asking. He wants you to keep seeking after it. He wants you to keep knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? He, he wants you, wants you to ask, to seek. He doesn't want, that's faith, right? That's faith. That's what faith looks like. Faith isn't a spoiled brat that gets what they want before they even ask for it. Faith is someone who believes in the character and nature of their Heavenly Father, and they won't relent until they receive what they know He has for them. That's faith. Faith is Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith, 
The ones who, they were tortured, you know, they, they were captured, they were tortured, and they didn't say, Jesus, help me, get me out of there. They refused to be released. Their captors were going to release them, and they're like, no, 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 just, just saw me in half. Just, just do it. Why? So they could see an even better resurrection. So they could see the power of our great God. They didn't care about their lives. Take it. You're not taking anything because it's in his hands. And guess what? This body that you destroy, he's going to raise it up anyways. I'm going to get a new one. So neater, neater. Like, a Christian can't lose. Not even death is the end for you. Come on. What do we have to not get excited about, right? And, and he goes on and he says this. Okay, uh, in verse 11, which one of you, and I, Becky always snickers at this because she knows I do goofy things like this, you know. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the biggest misunderstanding about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit. People are afraid of it. They're afraid that if they open up their lives and ask God for something, he's going to give them a demon. He's going to give them something that's going to harm them. He's going to give them something that's going to embarrass them. Like I'm going to be walking down Philadelphia Street and all of a sudden just be blasting in tongues you know, at some point. That's not how it works. If us who are evil know how to give good things to our kids, how much more will our Father give us the Holy Spirit if we ask? It's not going to give you something that's going to harm you or embarrass you. And in fact, in all reality, that's the greatest gift that we could ever ask of God. Because he's the source of everything that we need. What more could we need than for God's very presence to fill our lives? What more could we ask for? And he's not going to trick us. He's not going to refuse us. He's not going to give us something that we didn't ask for. If we, with shameless audacity without any doubt, expectedly ask our Heavenly Father for good things, we'll receive them. And when we ask to be filled with or baptized with or however you want to say it, the Holy Spirit, it's going to happen. But th this, this challenges me when I read through Luke chapter 11 in this part because it makes me wonder, you know, how many good things am I missing out on because I just don't ask? Either I don't take time to learn that it's available to me I don't understand the authority that I have, that I don't have to deal with this in my life. I can put an end to this in my life. Just whatever the case might be, how often do we settle for less? We fill our lives with the things of this world, lesser things, when he has such great things for us. Why do we settle? Why do we settle for anything less? I love this quote. I don't know who Ellen White is. Personally, you can fill me in on that later. I didn't take time to Google it because that's the source of all truth, right? But she said this, why should the sons and daughters of God be reluctant to pray when prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse where are treasured the boundless resources of the omnipotence. The vastness of God, it's stored there. And he will give it to you if you just ask in faith. If you just ask, that's prayer, ask in faith. And you unlock the abundance of God's kingdom where there's no lack, there's no need, there's no anything. There, there's, there, well, there's no, there's no anything. Be careful my words. There's like everything, everything, and even more, more than you can ask, think, or imagine. That's what's in the storehouses of heaven. Just think about that for a second. What is it that you might be missing out on? Because you haven't asked. You haven't sought. You haven't knocked. kind of makes me excited and hungry for more. You got more than this. I've tasted and seen some pretty good things of God. He's got more. He's got even greater things, you know? It's pretty awesome. Have you ever had this happen in your life? And I know I've had it happen a few different times. You know, I see my kids and they're struggling with something or I find something out later. Several times this has happened and I'm and I'm just like, why didn't you ask me about that, you know? Little stupid things. I walk into Bethany's um, 
you know, she forgot her contacts. I had to take them over to school for her. And uh, so I walk in her bedroom, and like half of her LED lights are out around her bedroom, you know? And I don't know, that's a thing apparently today. And I'm like, like, why didn't you tell me about that? Why didn't you ask? Like, I went up there and I soldered it, and it was fixed in like, you know, 15 seconds. It was no big deal, you know? Seth knows, right? Yeah. Electricians got to stick together. I, I pretend to know what I'm doing, but anyways. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, why didn't you ask? I would have taken care of that. You know, they, they settle for lesser things. You're like, why didn't you say something? I, I got something way better out in the garage or in the closet. Or, you know, I would have picked that up for you. Why do you settle for less? Why didn't you come to me? Why didn't you ask me? And there's always a legitimate excuse, and mine's always like, well, you're busy, and I didn't want to ask her, you know, stress you out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but that, that hurts as a dad, you know, because he's like, you want to give your kids the best of everything that you possibly can. I'll be there for you. I'll do that for you. How much more does our Heavenly Father feel that way about us? We don't have just because we didn't ask. We just didn't ask. Either we didn't even think to pray about it. How many times do we do that? We just make a decision like you didn't even pray about it. And God's like, well, I mean, I guess you could do that, but I've got this for you over here. Like, wh why didn't you ask? You know, I got, I got something so much bigger, so much better for you. <sighs> and the truth is, these things, that, and I stole this from Bill Johnson, by the way, they're not hidden from us maliciously. They are hidden for you. And we just celebrated Resurrection Sunday. It's so much fun. You know, my, my little nephew, you know, we do an egg hunt. And it's just so much fun to see him searching for eggs, you know, because he knows that there's something good in there, you know, especially when you got money eggs, you know, doing the, doing the money dance and you find the money egg, you know. That's, that's how I picture the Heavenly Father is he hasn't hidden things like from you so that you don't know anything about them. He's hidden them because he wants you to find them. He wants you to ask for them. He has awesome things. Literally, the Bible talks over and over again about these secret things in his kingdom that he wants to reveal to you. But you've got to ask for it. You've got to seek after it. You've got to ask him, and he'll reveal those things. Ask, we receive. Seek, we find. Knock, door will be open. And don't give up. Don't give up. Be relentless in your pursuit for God. If his word promises it, Last time I read the Bible, it says that he promises and fulfills. He's not a man that he should lie. So keep at it. If you haven't received it, maybe it's just not the right time. But keep at it. Don't believe that somehow you missed it. Somehow it's not for you. Somehow you sinned too much and now you just don't deserve it. That is not our Heavenly Father. You don't disqualify yourselves from things in the kingdom. He's the one who qualifies you. And he doesn't change. And he doesn't change his mind. If it's for you, it's for you. That means you can live a lifetime. You're never too old. I'm trying not to look at anybody in particular. You're never too old, right, Nate? To uh... <laughs> If he plans something for you and for your life, it's never too late. You've never missed out on it. He'll just pick you right back up where you left off. That's how great our Heavenly Father is. Then Jesus goes on and he uses the analogy that our, house, that our lives are like a house. So go see Carl if you, if you need a, a mortgage. He'll hook you up. It's good stuff, yeah. We'll get you over first come before you know it, you know, if, if, if you want to do some real banking. But anyways, that's another story for another time. <laughs> but he uses this analogy that our lives are like a house. Our lives are like a house. And he, he says this a few different times. God creates it. Then he gives you stewardship over them. And if you all drive around town here, you'll see some people, they take pretty good care of their houses, you know. Some people, not so much. Don't trust me with landscaping. If you haven't looked out here, it's... It did beautiful work, and then you put it in my hands, and yeah. But anyways, <laughs> he gives us stewardship over them. We choose, first of all, how to maintain our house. We choose what we allow into our house and who is allowed in here. We choose what to place in it, right? And so with that in mind, Jesus continues, and we're going to get some fun, uncomfortable scriptures here. Demon possession! Woo! How many churches in the valley are talking about that this morning? Well, let's, Jesus dealt with it over and over and over again. So how can you not talk about it? You can't tell the gospel without talking about demons, right? I mean, just be for real. Read through the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's there. In verse 14, Jesus was driving out a demon. And this wasn't like, hey, girl, come on, let's go. You know, He was driving out a demon. He's like, you go. <laughs> You know, like when your drunk friend comes into your house at three in the morning without knocking and you're like, 
what are you doing in my bedroom, man? Like, out, get, you know? <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one that's ever dealt with that. I don't know. We had a few neighbors that Nate knows, but I loved them. Our neighbors were awesome. When they walked into our house stumbling and drunk, and we're like, um, hello. <laughs> they were asking for prayer. They needed Jesus. Had so many powerful encounters in our living room, you know, when our neighbors would just stumble in, and we just love it. And if they're watching, you know, that you know who you are, no one else knows, but it's, it was powerful times. I never regretted it. So anyways, so he drove out that demon that was mute. It says, when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. Crowd was amazed. It's like the original Barnum and Bailey, you know? He's like, whoa, like, I thought the guy was mute. It was, that, it was a demon the whole time? Like, that was his problem? Oh, wow, okay. But some of them said, well, it's, by Beazable, or however you want to pronounce it, that's how I'm going to pronounce it this morning, the prince of demons that he's driving out demons, and others tested him. They are asking, <laughs> asking for a sign from heaven. <laughs> like, was that not enough? <laughs> like a mute man can now speak? That's not a sign? I don't know, and he said that he was only going to give them one sign as a sign of Jonah, and I asked my kids about that the other day, they couldn't figure it out, so... Hopefully everyone here can figure it out at this point. If you know what the sign of Jonah is and what it had to do with like the cross and the one, two, three days, and then he got spat back. Yeah, okay, you got it now. So I kind of explained that. But here's a clear example of the dangers, the dangers of living for the approval of other people. Jesus was the perfect, sinless God in the flesh person. He just healed a man from being mute by driving out that mute demon from within him. And you think that everybody would just be like, yeah, woo, like he's healed. you think they'd be celebrating and rejoicing and excited. It says that they were all amazed. I mean, he just found this new freedom in life. Now, all the more amazed, but some of them responded in belief. They're just amazed. This, this has to be the Son of God. Some of them accused him. You know how you can drive out that demon? Because you're a demon yourself. <laughs> Boy, you're the prince of demons, right? You know? They accused him of doing it as the prince of demons, beazable. Some people were like, show me more, and then I'll believe. You know? They, they kind of doubted. They're like, okay, well, we could explain this one away. Show me something else. You know, I, I want to see another sign from heaven. How did Jesus respond to all the chaos that was going on around him? Because what we have a tendency to do is we always want to defend ourselves. We want to justify ourselves. We want people to accept us. We want people to be happy with us, right? But in reality, it's a dangerous road. Proverbs says that fear of man will prove to be a snare. Because if Jesus spent his time trying to get everyone to accept him, what would have he accomplished? He would have never left his hometown. He would have never convinced them to accept him. Don't waste your life trying to get people to like you and accept you. You be who God created you to be. You are accepted by the God who created you. What more could you want? That's easy to say. I think that's why Jesus spent so much time in prayer. He needed to be alone with the Father because everyone else hated his guts. They wanted to kill him. They literally wanted to kill him. He had to spend so much time with his Father because that's the one who accepted him and embraced him. Even his own disciples he would get frustrated with. He would literally say, how long do I got to put up with you, right? You know, maybe some of you moms feel that way. And you got your, your, your you know, your, your sanctuary in your bathroom. Like, this is mommy time. Just, you know, just, I don't want to put up with you anymore, you know. <laughs> maybe I'm the only, I don't know. I remember Becky going through that with the toddlers. <laughs> in any case, you need that. You need to live in an audience of one. You need time, just you and the father. So he can just gloat over you with how awesome you are. You're fearfully, wonderfully created. You've got a plan and a purpose. You know, even if you screw up, he's like, all right, let's just, let's just wipe this off. Let's get you cleaned up and healed up and let's move on. You know, even if you screw up, he does that. He embraces you and accepts you. And oh, it's just awesome. Anyways, so here in verse 17, now, I don't, personally, I don't think this is a spiritual, supernatural thing. You know what people are thinking about you, right? You know, I, I know when I walked out this morning, my wife's like, why are you wearing a dress with, with leggings? Like, what is your deal? Like, little chicken legs, you know? <laughs> I knew what my wife was thinking. Verse, verse 17, 
It says that Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. And he says, you know what? Any kingdom divided against itself will fall. It will be ruined. A house divided against itself will fall. Kingdom divided will be ruined. House divided will fall. Now, I'm not sure if, if us good old Americans have figured this out yet. We, we have a tendency to want to be divided, you know? Uh, you know, we've got Republican, Democrat. We've got conservative, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know where I stand because I don't even listen to what it is. <laughs> you know, but we, we divide ourselves over every possible thing we ever could. Try copying and pasting the Second Amendment into Facebook and see how long it stays up there, you know? Goes against community standards. I'm trying to raise a rebellion because I'm trying to form a militia. What? It's the Second Amendment. I'm not trying to form a militia. I'm just saying what it says. But apparently it's hate speech. So anyways, it's happened many times if you haven't figured that out. But man, what did Jesus say? Like, if you're divided, you're going to fall. You've got to figure that out, you know? I'm not saying you've got to agree with everybody, but we've got, we got to come together at some point as one people, you know? we all got to live in this country together. Why live it together in misery, you know? It, but if you ever wonder about this, like a household divided amongst itself, read about it. God's Word has all kinds of things to say about a naggy wife. I'm, I'm not going to quote them because I, I care about my life a little, but things like it's better to live on the corner of the roof, you know, than to live in the... A house divided, it's not good. You don't have to look at this spiritually. It's not good. You don't want that. We need some unity, right? Jesus said it's going to fall. Then he goes on into this house analogy. He says if Satan is divided against himself, how can his own kingdom stand? He's defending himself about being the prince of demons, Beelzebub. He says, I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. If I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out then? So then, they can be your judges, not me. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then he goes on, he says in verse 21, when a strong man, fully armored, right? Woo! PA Castle Law, yeah. You don't want to break into my house. You break into my house, I break you. And I'll lead you to Jesus first, but you're going to get busted, right? You know, whatever the kingdom wants, whatever God wants to do in that case. When he breaks into his house, his possessions are safe because he's a strong man and he's guarding his house and he's fully armed. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, takes away his armor that the man is trusted in, and then just divides up his plunder. There's always someone stronger out there. It doesn't matter how strong you are, right? You know, someone, I don't know, we were sitting on our deck last night. It was so nice and peaceful. And then someone pulls out, I mean, they wasted $1,000 on ammo. They got a full full auto weapon, you know. I'm like, I don't want that guy breaking into my house. I'm just saying, you know, my little pea shooter ain't going to do a thing. You know? There's always someone stronger out there. And that's why it's so critically, critically important for you to have inside of your house in fullness the spirit of the living God. Because there ain't no one stronger. But it's for this reason I believe, personally I believe that a Christian can't be demon-possessed. Can they be oppressed by a demon? Absolutely. Influenced by the demonic? Absolutely. Tempted by it? Every day of my life, tempted by the demonic realm, right? Can they gain a foothold in your life, a stronghold? Yes and yes, I firmly believe it. Trust me, the devil and all those in his kingdom who choose to rebel against God, they'll gladly take any part of your life that you give them access to. They'll take it. They'll take everything that they can possibly get, right? However, if just the finger of God, I love that, that Jesus even used that, the finger of God can drive out the demon realm from inside of a guy, having even only the initial deposit of the Holy Spirit that everybody receives when you're saved. Y'all got the Holy Spirit in you when you put your faith in Jesus. That's surely a strong enough man to keep that demon from completely possessing your life, right? Might have a bedroom, might have the kitchen, but ain't taking over that whole house. It's not going to happen because the two just can't cohabitate. John wrote, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 2 Corinthians 6 and several other scriptures explain our bodies as the temple of the living God and says that there's no fellowship between lightness and dark. Light always drives out darkness in the same space. Always. 
it just, it just does. That's what it does. Light drives out darkness. And so that's what happens. That's what I believe right now. You can convince me of it otherwise. I'm, you know, that's just where, where I'm at right now with what I see in the scriptures. But the definitive takeaway, whether you believe that that can happen or not, that a Christian can become demon-possessed, the point is, don't mess around with the kingdom of darkness. And man, is he deceitful. He comes in all these different forms and shapes, and whatever it is in your life, you know what that is. You know what that gateway is. He'll take whatever he can get. Steer clear of it. Resist it. If it's not of God, then have nothing to do with it. As the Bible clearly states, we should not give the devil even a foothold in our life. And he's talking about anger in that case, Ephesians 4.27. Don't even give him a foothold in your life. We'll get the solution of how to do that here in a moment. Jesus continues on in verse 23. He says, whoever's not with me is against me. Whoever doesn't gather, scatters. There's no fence to sit on, is there? No fence to sit on. You're either with him or you're against him. Most of the time, people don't even know that they're against Jesus. They don't even know that they're fighting him and fighting his will. They're just living their life in this world, you know? But who's the one that's been kicked out of heaven as fast as lightning fell? Who's reigning over this place in a limited capacity at this point, right? It's the kingdom of darkness. Kingdom of darkness. We're not with him. We're against him. We're not for him. We're not gathering. We're scattering. And then Jesus goes back to this because he wanted everyone to understand this, exactly what happens. And we go to verse 24. What happens when someone is delivered from a demonic stronghold, whether it's oppression or depression or full possession or whatever eschen you want to make up? Jesus said, this is what happens whenever you get free of that thing. Verse 24, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, let me tell you right now, every single person in this room Devil's had a foothold in your life at some point. He's had a stronghold. If he hasn't possessed you, he had a part of you. He probably got part of you right now, you know? As soon as you get rid of that thing in your life, here's what happens in verse 24. It goes through the arid places, and it's seeking rest, but it doesn't find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house that I left. When it returns, it finds the house swept clean, put in order. It's like Mary Poppins just left, right? You know, it's all clean, put in order. Kids are all walking in a straight line and just, it's just a very orderly household. In verse 26, then it arrives, it finds the house clean, put in order. Then it goes. And it takes seven other spirits that are more wicked than itself. They go in there and live. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Whew, you want to talk about some deliverance ministry. It's not all about driving out demons. If all you're doing is going around casting out demons, stop! You're destroying people's lives. You're, you're, you're destroying things. You can't just stop there. According to Jesus' own words. And what happens? Most all of us know this. You know, this is very possibly, this is what I believe happens. The reason that most deliverance, or AKA, we call them addiction recovery programs, right? You know, good old Ark Manor out and continuing everything. They're awesome in what they do. Something needs done with all the addictions that have people bound in this area. But what happens when people go through those programs? Why, why is the failure rate so high? Because even once someone is willing to get free, and they truly want that freedom, and they go through all the steps, and they go through the program, they're equipped with all those steps to clean up their lives, right? To clean up their lives, to put them back in order, and to separate themselves from that bondage. What happens most usually, not 100% of the time, but most usually, their lives still need filled up with something, right? You know, I can empty out that water bottle, and what good is it? It's just an empty water bottle. I got filled up with something. That's its purpose, is to carry things as a container. Whether people want to admit it or not, you were created as a container to contain the full glory of God and His presence and His splendor. And if you don't have the fullness of the Spirit of God, you're going to fill up your life with something, right? And so either they go back to that addiction, 
And they never go back the same as they were before, right? They always hit it ten times harder. Some people lose their lives in that moment because they got their lives cleaned up. Their tolerance level is down, down to here, and when they quit, it was like this, you know. And, you know, D, I don't know how many funerals we did right here in this, this very room, you know, of OD victims uh, right here in our community because they, they went to prison, they got cleaned up because they had to get cleaned up there, and as soon as you hit the streets and you get back with your buddies, that's it, you know. You're face-to-face -face with Jesus, and there's no chance. But they either go back to what they were bound with, or they just find something else to do. They just find something more socially acceptable, and you just fill your life with that, you know? You, you trade addiction for addiction, and in the end, you're still addicted. Just something more socially acceptable or whatnot, you know? A little less destructive or whatever. You never really, really, really get free of it. The solution to living an abundant life of freedom Religion, most churches will tell you it's to have a clean and orderly house. Jesus literally just taught us that that's an open invitation for a demon and seven of its buddies to come in and to have a great time, you know? Spirit of religion, it's nasty. You just live a clean and orderly life and you look good. What did Jesus say to the religious people of your day? They're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the inside, but on the inside, I know what's hanging out in there. Death. <laughs> Death. Destruction. It's not about looking good on the outside. The, the, the secret to living an abundant life of freedom, it's none other than living a life full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, fill it up with something. Fill it up with the presence of God. Everything about God's Spirit, it leads to everything that you want anyways. You want peace. You want joy. You want some patience, some kindness, some gentleness, some self-control. You, you, you just want to feel whole and complete. You just want to feel good in life. You want to feel happy in life. Well, the Spirit does all those things with no hangover the next morning, you know? It's awesome. In fact, the Bible tells you, get drunk in the Spirit. Why? It's, you just you always feel better the next day. <laughs> Way better, right? As the, the old hymn says this, that when, when you fix your eyes upon Jesus, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace right? So true. In fact, Romans chapter 1 says that we were created to worship. And what leads to people's destruction is that they're going to worship. But it says that they worshiped created things rather than the creator. You're going to lay down your life. You're going to bow down to your life to something. It's either going to be in a bad relationship to somebody, to some substance out there that's going to have a hold of you. You're going to bow down your life to something. Or you're going to bow down your life to the one who created you. He's going to pick you up. He's going to fill your life with all kinds of good things. Everything else out there wants something from you. God wants something for you. God wants something for you. So if you're feeling that emptiness in your life somewhere, let him fill it. If you got a demon that has a foothold in your life right now, just Peel back those toes and pff, get out of here. That, that's Jesus' room. That's his. You don't belong there, right? Don't live a religious life that looks great by appearances, a house that's swept and clean in order. According to Jesus, that's an invitation to a demon and his buddies living a life that is a full house, right? Whatever happened to you? Live a full house, a full life. Fill it up with the Holy Spirit. That demon won't want anything to do with you. In fact, he'll tell all of his buddies to steer clear. There ain't no room in that place. It's one of those Jesus freaks full of the Spirit of God. We don't want anything to do with him, right? Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 20. He said, be very careful then how you live. Because I'm telling you, it's so easy to give the devil a stronghold in your life and you didn't even know what's happening. Because he'll tempt you with good things, beneficial things, right? If we knew it was death, we'd never accept it. Like, it's not like he like you, you look out your window and you see, you know, the, the devil digging a grave. And he's like, hey, come on in. This place is awesome. You're going to love it, you know? I, he's not going to do that. He's going to show you a good time. You're going to love it for that time, right? So be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Because these days are evil. Verse 16, not my words, Paul's in Ephesians. In verse 17, therefore, don't be a fool, 
Don't act a fool, right? But rather understand what God's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And a lot of people have asked me recently about like our stand on alcohol. And, you know, it's, I, I describe it as like anything else, you know. If you can have a drink and that's it and you're fine and it doesn't have a hold on you, that's fine. We're not going to preach against, you know, drinking alcohol here. But if it's got a stronghold on you, if you can't stop at one and you're at five and you forget who you are and where you live, don't go near the stuff. Steer clear of it. There's some things that I can let in my life and I'm fine. It has no hold on me. But there are some things in my life I gotta steer clear from it. <laughs> I gotta stay away from it because man, it's gonna it, it will have me. It'll have me. It'll take over my life, right? We all have those things in our lives. So just understand, understand, and then steer clear of it. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing, make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be full of the Spirit. Get drunk in the Spirit. It's so much fun. Get high in the Spirit, whatever you want to call it. However you describe that, that just overflowing sensation. When you just totally yielded your life to Him, He takes over. There's nothing like it in this life. There is nothing like it. When you just, just manifest, feel the presence of God, how much He loves you, how much He cares for you, nothing compares to it at all. Paul also wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. He said, and I didn't put it in the PowerPoint slide, but he says, what shall we do then? He's teaching about spiritual gifts. He's teaching about how we're all one. We're all in the body of Christ. And he, say, he, he says these things that you won't hear in most churches because he, he says words like, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. I wish all of you prophesied. But here's the deal. Why does he say that? It's because God doesn't force you to do anything. Ever notice that? God doesn't force anyone to get saved. He might allow you to hit rock bottom, even at rock bottom. He doesn't force you to turn to him. He's just like, uh, I'm here. <laughs> we do this now? It's an invitation. It's no different with anything else. God doesn't force you to prophesy. God doesn't force you to heal people. God doesn't force you to act with great faith. God doesn't force you to administrate well. Whatever spiritual gift you may have, he doesn't force them on you. He doesn't force you to use them. Think about it this way. You could be the greatest baller out there on the face of the earth, but it doesn't mean you're going to just immediately be on the Harlem Globetrotters, right? It doesn't happen. You've got to willingly put them to use. You've got to willingly submit. There's a word that Becky received, and it's funny because after she shared it with me, we heard it like two different places after that, and this was just a few days ago. It was at the ladies' event yesterday. It was their opening line. The word positioning. So much in the kingdom of God is about your position. Meaning where I place myself. Where I choose to put my life. What do I submit to? What do I choose to fill my life with? How do I choose to maintain my life? Because the choice is all mine. It's all mine. It's my choice what to do. But when you position yourself humbly, right where God wants you, keeping in step with the Spirit, positioning yourself right there, Man, he will pour out everything you need in life in an abundance. It's never a filling and an infilling. It's an overflowing. <laughs> overflowing. It spills out. It spills out in some fun ways sometimes. So Paul says, so what shall we do? What shall we do in response to these things? All these spiritual gifts, all these things that God wants to do. The Spirit of God wants to move. He said, I will. I'll pray with my spirit. But I'll also pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit. But I'll also sing with my understanding. And remember how, not only how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, but also how, uh, how he explained it in Romans 8. Wordless groans. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that when I speak, my mind's fruitless. I don't have a clue what I'm saying. No idea what's coming out of my mouth right now. That's how he describes it. He's like, but my spirit is built up. You want the devil to stay out of your life? You want to get rid of that stronghold, that foothold that he has? You want to get rid of that loneliness, that empty place in your life? Try letting the spirit fill you. 
Let him fill those areas. We pray all the time with our understanding. You know what I'm saying. At least, at least half of you here do. The other half of you are just hanging around here until you start to understand it maybe or until I start speaking better. But either way, we pray with our understanding. You know, Lord Jesus, and, you know, we pray with our understanding. We don't pray together in the Spirit. Why? The, the Bible says that we should. That's what we do. I pray in the Spirit and I pray in my understanding. Singing! We sing with words. We, we put the words on it line for line so you can, you can sing with your understanding, but we don't... Oh, I got a tail. Woo! We, uh, we don't often sing together in the Spirit. Some of y'all don't even sing with understanding. Like, okay, worship, when's it over? We done yet? Can I not please again? You know? Let's be honest, right? Why don't we do that? So, this morning, why don't we do that? <laughs> why don't we do that? And if you don't know what it means or aren't able right now, then we're going to take care of that too. You'll be able to. You know what you, know what you have to do? you got to open your mouth. <laughs> Believe it or not, God isn't going to shove his hand up your butt and use you like a puppet. <laughs> not the God I know. He doesn't do stuff like that. That's weird. <laughs> That's weird, okay? Praying in the Spirit and singing in the Spirit, when you open your mouth and let the Spirit give you utterance, that's what the Bible teaches, that's not weird. That's me positioning myself to be like, okay, Holy Spirit, we say Holy Spirit has control of my life. Last time I checked out this thing, he doesn't have much control over it because he ain't never saying anything out of it, right? Let's be honest with each other. You open your mouth and he just gives you the utterance and it sounds like nonsense to you. And like I said, some of my most powerful prayers is just, uh, it's just a wordless groan. But oh man, the Holy Spirit knows what's on my heart and mind, knows what's on the Father's mind, knows what the Father's will is. He intercedes. And that just ugh prayer unleashes the kingdom. What are you missing out on? What am I missing out on? Because I don't take God fully at his word. Why is it that I'm missing out? Maybe this is the key. Because I'm not praying in the Spirit. I'm not singing in the Spirit. I just don't do that. Maybe that's why. So this morning, all we're presenting y'all with is an opportunity. You're here among family. Nobody's going to think any differently of you no matter what. I've seen some of y'all do some really foolish things, and we love you, and you're here anyways, all right? It's a safe place. But if we can't allow the Holy Spirit to have full control of all of us here and now, how's he going to move outside these doors? What if he wants to heal somebody? Are you going to really willingly position yourself and submit to him so that you pray for them? Seen more healings out there than I have in here, just personally. I don't know why. Still asking God about it, but I've seen it happen over and over and over again. You know, some of my family can testify to some things that they've seen. God miraculously heal people, you know. So cool. It's so cool. It's so exciting. It's addictive. You gotta get you some. Try it. Pray in the spirit. All that it is is what Romans 8 says that it is. The spirit within you. If I can have the worship team come forward, the spirit of God inside of you. He's just uttering wordless groans. But he's perfectly interceding and praying for you. He knows the will of God. He knows your heart and mind. He knows what's killing you right now. He will intercede for you perfectly. Think about that. <laughs> you don't have to worry about saying the wrong words or praying the wrong way. What could be unleashed into your life? In a good way. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, he ain't going to give you a snake, a scorpion, or a demon, right? In a good way. What could God unleash into your life this morning? So this morning, yeah, if you just keep playing, we're going we're gonna to pray with our understanding. Y'all can pray with me and agree with me. And after that, we're just going to spend a little bit of time praying in the Spirit. I didn't hear any woots. No one's all excited about this. Come on! Woo! The Spirit of God is going to perfectly intercede for you. What you've been praying for years and nothing's happened, it's all going to change this morning. That's something to get excited about, right? And so Jesus this morning... Break our walls down. You know the thoughts that are in my head right now that the enemy's putting there trying to stop me from wanting this. 
making me think bad things about it, making me not want to do it. I don't want to. But Lord, we know, we know that you have good things for us. You're a good heavenly father. You're not going to give us a snake or a scorpion when we're asking for the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you said when I ask for the Holy Spirit, you're going to give me the Holy Spirit. So this morning, Jesus, I surrender all that I am to you. I'm tired of fighting this fight. I'm tired of feeling this way. I want everything you've got for me. And so I'm not holding back anymore this morning. Just have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. And then just pray. Just pray in the Spirit. Just let the utterance come forth. Let the Spirit of God set you free! There is freedom!